Good morning, church. Rick, I appreciate you remembering those who need prayer right now, and I hope that all of us will be encouraged to pray like that and keep keep prayer a part of um, our ministry to others during this holiday season. It reminded me also, one other announcement. We often announce either on the Internet or in our print bulletin, those who need prayers, please take that. Focus on prayers. We've had answered prayers this week. It's been exciting. Um, Joe Rosales just told me this morning that his daughter, Alicia, who lives in Kansas City, will have surgery this Tuesday. So, so please remember her in prayer, and that announcement has been posted to our Facebook group. Um, let's pray again. Father... We come to you uh, thankful for the opportunity that we have to pray like Jesus taught us, to pray that your will might be done on earth as it always is in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, bring your kingdom to this earth. Let your kingdom reign fully and in every way. We've been, we, we know that we've, we see it emerging. We see it emerging in our lives. We see it emerging in the life of the church. But, Father, we long for that day when it is fully and finally realized and there is no more separation. But instead, we all dwell with you and we feast at your table in the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. In the meanwhile, Lord, keep us faithful. In the meanwhile, Lord, bless us. In the meanwhile, teach us how to share the good news with others and to trust in your Spirit, which will take us into the adventures that you have in store for us. Looking forward to that city that lasts forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, um, when you read these sections in Acts, and we're going to be in Acts 16 this morning, you really get the sense that, that, that what God is doing is He's not just preserving the status quo. But He is taking His disciples, the people who believe in Him, He's taking them on an adventure to show them that there's something much better in store for all of us than even the best life we can imagine on this earth. And so He takes Paul and Barnabas and and, and takes other servants and allows them to preach the good news. And it's all empowered by His Spirit. Drew was confessing to you things that he learned as a young man, and I'll confess to you, there was a time that I thought, you know what, the Holy Spirit just kind of packed up all of his goods and went to retire somewhere, you know, in the Caribbean probably, you know, and he wrote us a little book and he said, I'll show up later. I don't know that that's what Acts is teaching at all, but I will admit that there is quite a debate that goes on in the even... In this day and age, how do we know, for example, when the Holy Spirit is guiding us? It's easy for me to say that, but how do I know that it's the Holy Spirit? How do I know it's not just my conscience? How do I know it's not just my desire? How do I know it's not just whatever I want, and then I'm blessing it with the Holy Spirit trademark, which isn't copyrighted, by the way? How do we know that? Or even worse, how do I know that it's not some evil spirit? How do I know that it's not... Something that looks really great, but it's a spirit from another source. And by the way, if the devil can be active and powerful like that, why can't the Holy Spirit be active and powerful? Well, 
What's it going to be? I mean, you know, how do we figure all this out? Well, there are some resources that have come to us over the last few centuries, just maybe within the last 200, 300 years. And what you end up with, and I am simplifying, you need to know this, okay? Disclaimer. I am simplifying centuries of debate into what I'm going to call a closed view of the Spirit and an open view of the Spirit. And I understand that there are shades and there are differences within this. So if you find a particular exception or something a little bit different, you're probably right. But in general, you have a closed view. And in that closed view, skepticism is consistent. And and really, this closed view becomes quite popular during the age of the Enlightenment. Because the age of Enlightenment brought us some great things. We began to realize that uh, reason could figure out most of the things that were going on in the world. We began to realize that empirical science could explain what was going on. And you know what? I like that. I like it that when I go to see my physicians, that, um, that they're using science. And they're using chemistry and they understand some things rather than, you know, chanting in some unintelligible way. And uh, I'm all for a a world that's bigger than we realize. And I believe that the spirit is active in our world. And and, uh, you know, I I like uh, I even like it that people can express their feelings and emotions in, in, in certain ways. But when I get on an airplane to go somewhere, I don't care how that technician felt about his work. I want some science behind that, okay? Um, you know, I like those technical specs at that point. That, that sounds good to me. So there's a place for reason. But really, reason became such a new thing and it produced so many good things that what you develop around that period 300 years ago is what's now called the cessationist view, which means that somewhere along the... Well, it's either at the end of the first century or the beginning of the 4th century, the Holy Spirit and the special spiritual gifts just cease to be. Now that view's out there. There are those who will defend that view. I'm not here to defend that view. I'm not really here to argue against it. You're going to see where I'm going here in a second. But that view is out there. And some of you may, may feel comfortable with that view, and that's fine. This is a debatable issue, and I want you to just know that. And it's okay for us to think about it. On the other hand, there's kind of a reaction to this in the 20th century which I would call the open view. And when the, the, the dome or the seal around, you know, it's like that show that came on a couple of months ago where that dome settles on that city and nobody can get out or get in. It's kind of like we put a dome over the church and, this, and the Holy Spirit can't get in anymore and it's gone. And, and what people began to find by the middle of the 20th century was without the Spirit, things just kind of dry up and, and everything just... You know, I mean, it's fine to be against strange fire, but let's have a little bit of fire. It's better than no fire at all. So, you know, what are we doing here? Um, And so people began to think, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And they began trusting in the Holy Spirit. And this view often becomes called charismatic. Not because it's charming, but because there's such a thing as gifts. Okay, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But once again, how do you know? How do you know when something's a gift of the Holy Spirit or... How do you know when it's something else? What are the criteria going to be? Well, I will say this about both of these simplistic views that I've laid out here. I think they both have good points to make. I think each view has its limitations. I think that uh, in, in many ways these two extremes are limited simply because they are extremes. And extreme views are often 
limited. Sometimes they're appropriate, but sometimes they get very limited. These tend to be all or nothing options. In other words, if the Holy Spirit's going to cease, then that's it. You don't get any more Holy Spirit. Well, now, what about just a little bit? Nope. If it's gone, it's gone. Or, or in the charismatic view, well, okay, if, 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 if the Holy Spirit can do some amazing things, then isn't everything just a Holy Spirit gift? Well, how do you decide one way or the other? I mean, if one person has a spiritual revelation, why can't somebody else? A friend of mine talks about the fact that he had a friend who had this kind of spiritual insight, or at least he claimed to, and so he, he, was, he was bringing some um, uh, chicken from Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he said, you know what? The Holy Spirit told me that you wanted white meat today, and that's what I brought. Of course, my friend said, I didn't know this. You know, nobody told me. And uh, again, who's to say that somebody can have a view or not on this? Um, One of the things that I've noticed as I've gone through this, because it is a, a subject that's of interest to me, is that the focus of these debates whether or not the Spirit has ceased or whether or not it continues to give gifts, seems to me that the view and the, the, it seems to me that the debate and the discussion is not really about the Spirit. It's really about us. It really tends to be about us and our concerns. And I think that too often we have left God and the Holy Spirit out of the discussion. That... Wherever we fall on some spectrum of comfort or wherever we fall on some spectrum of understanding, we've, we've discussed and debated with others. And, and, you know, one of the things that I am thankful for is that within this congregation, I don't, I have never witnessed the kind of ugliness that I've seen in other places where there are actually attacks by these two groups, each of them claiming to be disciples of Christ and each of them claiming to believe in a Holy Spirit, and they will attack each other. And I'm thankful to God that we haven't seen that, because I can tell you that that spirit and that attitude is counter to God's Holy Spirit. I think we've left God and the Holy Spirit out because the Holy Spirit has become the topic of the discussion between us. But if the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God, and it's living and active, and if God, as we sing in the song, our God, He is alive, then why doesn't God participate in our discussions and our debates more. Maybe he is trying and we just don't know how to listen or to receive what he gives us. Or maybe we're not listening to each other. My point is, I think sometimes the debate is really about us. We've left God out of the conversation and we've been discussing who does and who doesn't have the Spirit when we might want to ask the Spirit, well, Spirit, who does and who doesn't have the Spirit. Maybe God knows the answers to these things that we're trying to find criteria to figure out. And all of us are like people in a band. But we're all playing our own set of music. Not much of a band, is it, Brent? You know, I asked one of my, my, my cheerleading experts on this, okay? A, um, a certain cheerleader who was a cheerleader at the University of Alabama. And he, uh, and he told me, the, you know, great cheerleaders know what's going on on the field, you see. And so it's not just about cheering, but it's about connecting the fans to the game, and then the cheerleader brings all of that together. That sounds good to me. I like that. And and I think that sometimes we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but we never connect the Holy Spirit to the conversations that we're having. 
We never bring it in. Some of you say, well, we need to bring it in through Scripture. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Remember last week's sermon. Some of you say, well, some of us have had experiences. Well, let's see about that. Let's talk about it. We can bring that into it as well. I think the discussions tend to be about us because we're afraid that the ability to have the Spirit is a measure of our faith. And so some who have the Spirit or claim to have the Spirit could be judgmental of others that they decide don't. Or some who feel that they don't have the Spirit in a particular way might feel embarrassed or intimidated by those who do, and so they want to make sure that no one else can claim to have it. I mean, there could, all, there could be all sorts of insecure motives behind this. When if we would just step back and let God do what God does, I think that we might find that there's a lot of peace that is possible. There are excesses on all sides, and I have witnessed these. I've witnessed the uh, concern that, that God speaks to us in any sort of way, that I've seen groups ban songs like, My God and I go through the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. Ah, you can't say that, therefore that song is banned. If that song should be banned, it should be banned for one reason and only in America. Because we always sing, go for A together. It's go for I. I've been to Scotland, I know how this works. I still don't know what the statement means. But it's I, not A. But again, that's an overreaction. But I've seen the other view react too. Early on in my ministry in Texas, one of the godliest women I knew, she had heart disease and she knew that her day was coming. And she ministered to her family faithfully in those days. A young woman, really. She had grown kids, but wasn't very old. But she knew that her time was coming. And yet God had spared her and given her years to live. But after she died, friends of her children, who claimed to have the Spirit, came to her and said, you know... If your mother had had enough faith, then God would have healed her. Such a, such a wrong way to look at it. I, I can't tell you enough how wretched I feel about that statement. You see, there can be excesses on each side. But all of that, and I just want to say this personally, has made me ask some questions. Well, how do you figure this out? How do you let the Spirit speak? Well, I want to offer a few things. Bible, second, but first... Let just illustrate this. To get past the extremes, one of the things that helped me was a movie that came out in 1997. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have not. The name of the movie is The Apostle, and it was written by Robert Duvall, directed by Robert Duvall, and it stars Robert Duvall as The Apostle. Now we're going to pick up a scene here in just a moment, and our friends in the booth are going to set this up. Robert Duvall is Sonny Dewey. He is a charismatic preacher. He has built temples all throughout Texas. And that's his word for planting churches. And, however, he's still a sinful man. And because his wife has entered into a relationship with another man, he has critically wounded him and the man may die. So, Sonny Dewey has left Texas and he's on the run from the law. He's hiding out, but he's convinced that God wants him to build one more temple in the small Louisiana town. 
And so he's telling everyone that his name is the Apostle E.F., and he is convinced that he must build this temple, but to do so, he believes that God has led him to a brother, C. Charles Blackwell, in this town, a retired minister. And as you watch this interaction between the Apostle E.F. and C. Charles Blackwell, I encourage you to listen to what the minister Blackwell says. Let's start the clip. You the Reverend C. Charles Blackwell? Yes, sir. Well, I'm the Apostle E.F., and believe it or not, the Lord sent me to have fellowship with you. So if you could spare me a minute of your time, I'd greatly appreciate it. Come on in. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I had this dream that I'd be meeting a man such as yourself, and the Lord told me to come right to you. And when he talks to me, I was listening for him. Yes, sir. I see. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to get up. You're welcome. Now, in my dream, it, it appeared that I, I would talk to you about a church or starting a church joint. Talking, at least, never heard nobody, so I thought we might examine the subject somewhat. You know, reflect on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Apostle, I'm, I don't minister no more. Now, I'm in touch with some of my people, but uh, most of them are over and join with other churches. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, uh, if I was to get with some of those people and they willing to start up a new temple, you know, small, would you be willing to come along with me and help me in the community? <laughs> well, it's a possibility. You see, I don't preach no more. I had uh, two heart attacks in six months. When I, I, I get up on that pulpit and uh, the spirits start moving in me, praise God, I, I wouldn't hold back. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I can't do that no more. Amen. I got to take everything a little calmer these days. Praise God. But um, I pray on it. I will. Mm-hmm. Well, you might consider it because, you know, I, I, I set up temples all over, you know, all over. Tell me something. Why should I trust you? The Lord knows what you could have been or done in the past. And also, we, we, we got to look out for the devil. Because if he robs you of your babies, he could rob somebody around here of their babies. Especially if he followed you down here from wherever you come from. Boy, I, I, I get it. I get it. Right on. Right on. Now, you say God led you to me and not to anybody else. Yes, sir. I do believe that. Yes, sir. If, in fact, he led you to me, I could accept that. If he didn't, I'm going to find out soon enough because he didn't want to let me know one way or the other. And if he did, then naturally I'd want to be with you, wouldn't I? Because then I would be with him, right? So, in other words, if he leading you, he got to lead me, too. You put that a lot better than I can, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tell you what. I'm going to keep my eye on you. And the Lord keep his eye on both of us. And we all three keep an eye out for the devil, all right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's an interesting movie, but is there anything biblical about it at all? Seeing that scene where Blackwell says to the apostle, if he's leading you, then he's going to lead me. That made me think. And over the years, I've looked at verses like Acts 16, which is our text today. And in Acts 16, we read this, starting in verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. And then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through to Mysia, to the seaport of Troas. And that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, isn't it interesting to notice that when the Spirit guides this mission, it can even override the plans of the Apostle Paul. And so you'll see here that as Paul sets out on this journey and he's going through Tarsus and he's heading back up to those churches where he encountered the pagan uh, cultures, he's wanting to head up this way, which is where Bithynia is. He's wanting to go up there to the north. But on at least two occasions, the Spirit says no. And it's interesting to me that sometimes when the Spirit speaks in this day and age, it's often that the Spirit says yes to whatever we want. But sometimes the Spirit says no. Now, I'm not discounting every... You know, I, 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 I sympathize with the brother C. Charles Blackwell in the film who says, Now, if the Lord led you to me, I can accept that. But the Lord is going to reveal the truth of it to those who will keep their eyes open. So here Paul is saying twice, we thought that it was the right thing to do to go here. And the Spirit said no. He even says the Spirit of Jesus prevented us from going into Bithynia. And instead, he has a new vision, a dream. Now, it's not anything unique. It's not, I mean, in the sense that it's not some extra revelation that goes against what Paul believed in, in Acts 15, what he said there. But it isn't interesting that in this dream... God does not say, Paul, Paul, go to Macedonia, but instead he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia who is saying, come help us. And when you begin to read the rest of Acts 16, you see that there are people there like Lydia who says, if you think that we're worshipers of God, come join us. You see people like the slave girl who's possessed by a spirit that is not God's Holy Spirit. But even she says, these men are servants of the God Most High. You see the Philippian jailer who recognizes power when it happens. And he recognizes the spirit and the character of Paul and Silas who will not allow him to kill himself. I believe that you see in Acts 16 that the Spirit is working on Paul and Silas, but it's also working on the people in Philippi. It's also working on the people in Macedonia. And so God's Spirit is over everyone in these chapters. And they're all kind of discerning and figuring out together what it is that God is doing. I'm going to use the Reverend C. Charles Blackwell's final statement to make three points. 
He says God will keep His eye on all of us. I like that. And we need to remember that. I'm afraid that sometimes we think it's all up to us. I either get to figure this out or guess what? I'm going to get duped. If I don't figure this out all on my own, I'm going to get taken. See, Charles Blackwell was not instantly accepting of whatever the apostle said because as he said, and he was right, he said, Lord knows that you could have done anything in your past. But isn't it interesting, for the sake of the movie and for the sake of our conversation, that he doesn't just instantly discredit what the apostle says, but he doesn't just instantly accept it. It's a lot like the wisdom of Gamaliel in Acts, who says to the other members of the Sanhedrin, look, if these men are with God, then we're not going to stop them. And if they're not, then God will see that it comes to an end. I think we can have that. And here, that's a position of faith. That's a position of trust. Let's keep God in the conversation. Let's allow God to say yes and to know when it's for the good of all. Because God will have everything in mind. He's working on all of us, by the way. You see that also in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, you'll remember that God gives a vision to Peter. Shows him that anything that he created is not unclean. But isn't God also working on someone else in that chapter? He sure is. He's working on Cornelius. And so sometimes we view it as Peter has to go and set Cornelius straight. Because Cornelius doesn't know a thing and it's all up to Peter. But read the text again and you begin to see that God is working on both of these individuals trying to bring them together. Look at that. Just like that. But here's the other thing too. It's not that one side has to become more like the other side. It's that as the Holy Spirit interacts with both of them, they both become more like God. And this is what God is trying to teach the church. God keeps His eye on all of us. The second point is that we keep an eye on each other. Now that can sound very judgmental. That, that may not sound very attractive at all. When, when Charles Blackwell in the movie says, I'm going to keep my eye on you, Apostle, he's saying, God's going to show me whether or not you really are sincere. I mean, if he's just down here to cause trouble, then God's going to make that clear to him. If not, then... You know, or if he is, then God's going to make that clear to him too. And as the movie goes on, you begin to see what really is happening. But I won't spoil it for you. The apostle invited the minister to keep an eye on him. And I think one of the things we've got to understand in the church is that God has called us into a relationship. We are not just a lot of private individuals on our own who can do whatever we want and not worry about everybody else. We have to, as the church, understand that we are linked through the Spirit of God and we are all members of the body of Christ. So we keep an eye on each other, meaning that together God reveals His will to all of us for the good of the church. And we talked last week how this happens. You see it in Acts 15. Peter had a vision of what God wanted to do. That doesn't always have to be limited to a dream or a special revelation. Sometimes we have people among us who are very visionary. People who look out and they say, you know what? We see what's happening. We see what's possible. We need to listen to those people. We need to give them an opportunity to speak. Now, that doesn't mean that we just go totally with that. Peter didn't get the trump card in that meeting. Paul and Barnabas had experiences. 
They said, we have seen what Peter's talking about. We've seen it too, independently. And James brings Scripture into it and says, and this is what God was always saying. And in that unity and that, that, that synchronizing of all of these different ways of revealing the truth to them, the group in Jerusalem is convinced that God is making a way for the Gentiles to come to Christ. Now, it's not easy. But they do believe that it's right. And they, they, they reach that conclusion where they say, it seemed good to all of us. Well, that's what it means to keep an eye on each other. And I think that the Spirit is good because it helps us all keep an eye out for the devil. The Spirit and the Word are not going to contradict each other. When we reach moments like that, we need to step back and really think what's going on here. Now, it either means that our interpretation of God's Word is somehow out of step, or it means that the Spirit isn't quite the Holy Spirit. Now, it takes a lot of work sometimes. I give you, I have so many stories of this. I'll give you one. I had a student once who told me how upset she was because her roommate said that God had revealed to her that she needed to break the lease and not live with her. I said, wait a second. The Spirit of God is telling your friend to basically welch on the lease? That's, that's wrong. That's unethical. Why would the Spirit tell somebody to do something unethical? That doesn't make much sense. I would accept it if your friend said, Hey, I just don't want to live with you and I'm breaking the lease on you. Sorry. That I could handle better. But sometimes blaming it on the Holy Spirit is easier than owning up and taking responsibility for it ourselves. The Spirit and the Word are not going to contradict each other. And when we keep the two of them in step, then we know what God's will is. You see this in, clearly in Scriptures like Hebrews 4. And when, you, and when you tear apart the Spirit and the Word, you either end up with a spiritless Word or you end up with a Spirit that's whatever we want it to be. When in fact, when the two are in agreement then we begin to see what Hebrews talks about where it says the Word of God is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We begin to see how the Word convicts and how the Word heals and how the Word of God is the work of the Spirit. And we begin to see how the Spirit is making the Word of God come alive. Keep in mind that Word of God is not only a phrase that refers to the Bible, but the Word of God is also a phrase that refers to Jesus Christ Himself. And if we believe that He's risen from the dead and He is living and active, then we believe in His promises. You know, sometimes it's unfortunate that we let, that we let church squabbles go as far as they do because God has said, if two or three of you will... Jesus Himself has said, if two of you will come together and agree on anything, I am there with you in your midst. He's promised to be there for us. Why don't we take Him at His Word? God's guidance will always seem good to all of us. You know, even when you have a church like the church in Corinth, where they're, where they're, and by the way, just because the Spirit was active in the first century doesn't mean that the Spirit was always unproblematic in the first century. The church in Corinth believed that they had spiritual gifts in the first century, and they had all kinds of problems. And so Paul says the way you're going to know 
where it's the Holy Spirit and not just you, is when it builds up and it uplifts the entire church, then you can know that, that that's God's Holy Spirit. Because it's going to do something not just for our own individual sake, but it's going to do something for the good of the church. See, sometimes the Holy Spirit has been seen as some sort of commodity or some sort of power, some sort of special ability that we can own or we can control or we can choose who we give it out to. And I tell you, every time we do that, we're committing the sin of Simon the sorcerer who believed that the Holy Spirit was something that he could manipulate. And we need to understand the teaching of 1 Corinthians 12 where he says, I want you to excel in gifts like love. Not to the exclusion of anything else, but then love guides every gift that we have. So if you have the gift for singing, if you have the gift for preaching, if you have the gift for encouragement, if you have the gift for welcoming, you're going to use that for the good of the entire church. Yesterday at Operation Elf, you saw so many gifts come together. Everybody can't do the same thing. Everybody shouldn't do the same thing. Because God has given so many different gifts to the body of Christ. And He wants it all to be used for His glory and for the sake of the entire church. The problem is we think that we've got to get all the spiritual gifts just for us. And that's not the way of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4, when he says, test the spirits, he's not saying that there's not a Holy Spirit. He's saying that you should be able to know and that there is a way to test it. So for those who have some experience of the Spirit, we need to bring that into the life of the congregation so that we can talk about it and discern it together the way that they did in Acts. Nobody got to play the trump card like the Apostle E.F. and say, this is what God revealed to me, so this is what everybody has to do. No. They discerned it. They decided And there were those who were convinced and they were wrong, and there were those who were convinced and they were proven to be right. Likewise, we need to understand that that the Spirit that God gives is not just something that He gives to each and every one of us individually and, and separated from everyone else. The title of this sermon is A Spirit for All of Us. And I'm inspired by Tim Woodruff's book, A Spirit for the Rest of Us. And in his book, Woodruff is trying to get away from those two extreme views, those all-or-nothing views, where either the Holy Spirit is just, you know, just handing out spiritual gifts like, like candy randomly, sort of just firing it without any kind of intention at all. Sort of like those guys at the games, you know, the football games with the T-shirt guns. You know, the Holy Spirit's just like, here you go, here's spiritual gifts. And then you have those who say, no... It's like a couple of years back when that gun blew up on the Arkansas sideline. No, nobody gets a T-shirt at all, okay? It blew up. The gun is broken. fact of the matter is, I, I, and, and you know, maybe there's another way to look at this than the two extremes. I'm going one step further in saying it's a spirit for all of us because here's the thing. The spirit is something we all share. When you consider that, that view of, here's a painting of the day of Pentecost, What was the miracle on the day of Pentecost? The apostles received tongues of fire and they spoke and everybody heard it in their own language. Uh Uh-huh. But if it was all the apostles, then it would only have been limited to 12 languages, right? Because Peter's over there preaching in, I don't know, know, Phrygian and Bartholomew is preaching in Greek and, um, you know, 
John is preaching in Esperanto or something like that. You know, so they're all, they're all speaking one particular language. But that's not how it worked. The Spirit was upon them to preach and to speak, but the Spirit was also upon the hearers. They heard in their own language. And there were probably more than 12 languages there. So if that's how the Spirit worked on the day of Pentecost, then can't we also believe that in whatever way God chooses, because the Spirit is not something that we manipulate. That's clear in the book of Acts. Isn't it possible? Isn't it the truth? That God works in all of us. It's not just a spirit for each one of us who has the power and the ability and the time and the training and the, and the, and the personal righteousness to gain Holy Spirit superpower. But the spirit is something that God gives to all of us for the sake of the church so that when we do his will, it will seem good to all of us. Let's trust in God when it comes to matters of the spirit. Let's trust in Him that He will guide us. Because the whole purpose of the Spirit interacting with us as a people is that we might be disciples of Christ and we might make others disciples. You know, each of us comes into this experience of following Jesus at different points along the way. Some of us have been doing this for years. And we might have some wisdom to share. Some of us who have been doing it for years will tell you we're still learning. And some of us come into this new, and we're just figuring things out from the beginning. And in fact, some of us come into this new, and our minds are being changed, and we're learning that things that we thought were right about the world, we're having to learn new ways of looking at the world. And we need some patience, because sometimes we see things in a worldly way, and my goodness, we need some patience from those who've been at it for a while, because, I mean, the world has just messed up our thinking and then there's everybody else in between there. And you know what the one thing that's in common with all of them? The Holy Spirit is empowering everybody to grow up and to become more like Christ. So that the fruit of the Spirit become evident in the life of the church. As we stand and sing this song, we want to encourage you. If you've been on that path with the Holy Spirit for decades... That doesn't mean that you don't need a prayer of encouragement today. Maybe you need a prayer of encouragement. Maybe you need God's prayers to overcome some attitude or to overcome some sorrow or because you're anxious about something. Or maybe you just need to give some thanks. There's going to be elders here and you can share it with them. There's going to be elders in room 100. And if you're just getting started on this journey, maybe the first step is that step through the waters of baptism where you cross over from the world and you say, I am dying to self and I'm going to follow Christ. Then listen. Listen to the gospel, the good news. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. However we can minister to you, God's word has been preached. Let us all respond. Let's stand and sing.